Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Thanks for listening to The Gist. If you want to check out an ad-free version and bonus content, go to subscribe.mikepesca.com. It is the best way to directly support our endeavors. It's Friday, March 30th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. We do not know the exact charges against Donald Trump. The indictment has not been released. It hasn't stopped partisans from declaring them righteous or wrong to the point of riotousness, which has been a theme worrying about potential unrest and violence that might occur, that might be spurred on by the former president and future inmate. Possibly, maybe, point of the spiel. Anyway, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, got some threats, got some white powder in the mail last week, turned out to be nothing. I'm sure he is very, very scared that the Oath Keepers are going to come with their zip ties and their very heavily infiltrated network of LARPers and kooks. The Manhattan DA, this man prosecuted ISIS. Seriously, before Trump, that was his last big haul. Trevor William Forrest, a.k.a. Sheikh Abdul Faisal, a.k.a. Sheikh Faisal, 59, was found guilty of recruiting, soliciting, and inspiring students and followers to pledge allegiance, travel to, join, and commit acts of terrorism on behalf of the Islamic State. He's serving 18 years in state prison. He went after an ISIS sheikh. I don't think DA Alvin Bragg is going to be worried about a QAnon shaman. And you know the NYPD is really quite ready for however Roger Stone and Don Jr. define the coming storm. NYPD, oh yeah, come on, proud boys, I'll bake your Alaska exactly how you like it. Man, is the NYPD looking for a chance to demonstrate all the crowd control innovations and techniques they're known for. Whose desk are the protesters going to take a dump on in this scenario? Eric Adams? That's not going to work out. None of this is to say that prosecuting a president is going to be easy, but Bragg has been signaling he's up for the job. He's been showing his steadfastness. Today, just as he was indicting a former president, the office of the DA was still going about the business of keeping the New York streets safe. The website had two news releases posted today, neither about Trump. One was about a hate crimes prosecution. The other was DA Bragg returns 11th century antiquity to Cambodia. I mean, he didn't personally fly to Phnom Penh. He just gave it to the consulate. But the office was quite proud in noting that in November 2022, the office repatriated the standing sandstone Vishnu to Cambodia, which was looted at the direction of, all caps, Doris Wiener, a well-known antiques trafficker, and they got her. The DA always gets his man even when the man is a woman and an antiques dealer and someone who died in 2011 at the age of 88. 
after selling items to Jackie Kennedy and donating parts of her collection to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The point is, this DA will not rest who matter commits the wrong. You do the crime, you do the time, be you former president or arts patron slash antique trafficker who died before he could actually be arrested. On the show today, I shall spiel about what I hinted at. What if Donald Trump is a prisoner but still wants to be president? But first, you know, Donald Trump was many things. President, real estate developer, loving father, and quack medicine proponent. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that has him in check, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks who could. right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. According to our next guest, Matt Hungoltz Hetling, whose new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, A Journey to the Fringes of American Medicine, Trump's embrace of kooky medical cures was more premeditated than many who lampooned him may have thought. The book comes out Tuesday, but Matt Hungoltz Hetling is up next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. The one true cure, it has ensorcelled us and evaded us from time immemorial. As we chase the one true cure, we butt up against science with a capital S, bureaucracy, the ignorance of others, and so many pitfalls. Another thing that we often find ourselves butting up against in the search for the one true cure is that there is not a one true cure. This does not dissuade many from pursuing the goal. And this pursuit is by turns tragic, hilarious, and just fascinating, as documented in Matthew Hungoltz Hetling's new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, A Journey to the Fringes of American Medicine. Matt, welcome to The Gist. Thank you very much. Uh, that's a great intro. This So hilarious, I want to highlight because I suspect that maybe listeners will get it from the tone that there is a lightness in the book itself, but the people who you survey and study and track have in their wake wrought destruction, have they not? There are many, many lives ruined in this book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's part of what I was really struck by was that I reached out to a bunch of folks who were kind of like on the outside of institutional medicine, wanting to have kind of like a, a kind of 
nuanced understanding of the debate of exactly how far government regulation ought to go in trying to protect the safety of the public. Um, but they were so beyond the pale. You know, I, I would ask a question like, well, you know, what changes would you recommend uh, to, to the FDA? And they would say, abolish the FBA, FDA. You know, uh, they, they, uh, they, they were just kind of had been uh, pushed into this place of such extremism uh, that you, you couldn't really have a nuanced discussion about that sort of policy. And you're right, that, that extremism led to a lot of tragedy. So, but not only are the people, and let's get into some specifics, not only were they outside of uh, institutions or the establishment, at some point, some of your characters were inside of prisons. That's, we're not talking about Andrew Weil, right? We're not talking about some gut bacteria guru. We're talking about, in some cases, real charlatans. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that's a really, and that's part of the tragedy, I think, of it, is that at one point, uh, these were a bunch of straight arrow Americans who, who were kind of out there, uh, who thought that they had stumbled upon this amazing medical revolutionary discovery, right? And some of them were bringing them to the public in what they thought was good faith. Uh, but then they also, you know, started trying to monetize it. And they all started, started getting kind of like channeled into these um, kind of preset paths by, by the cultural dynamics you know like uh they, they started tying into the wrong crowd you might say and getting emboldened to to really assert their right to what amounts to swindle the public uh and yeah uh so they butted heads with, with institutions and they wound up institutionalized you, you're absolutely right you have a dentist you have is toby mcadam a doctor uh he is an herbalist Okay, so you have an herbalist, you have a dentist, you have a leech expert, you have your traditional yeah. <laughs> faith healer, quasi quasi mystic. Who else am I missing? Uh, there's a, a immigrant who treats her patient with leeches. Uh, the the dentist, uh, what was a big laser guy, he, he thought that he could harness the universal healing light uh, 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 of the universe through lasers that he sold for $12,000 to elderly uh, folks to treat their cancer and dementia and, and all the other ailments uh, that, that we suffer. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, there's a, uh, a guy who thought, basically a guy who sold a product called MMS, Miracle Mineral Supplement, mm -hmm. which is like a diluted form of bleach. Uh, and the guy who sold it was an Alabama gold miner who thought that he was an alien from the uh, Andromeda galaxy. Uh, and mm -hmm. so very, very colorful folks. Right. Not just an alien. All the residents of his planet were gods also. Yeah. Yeah. Planet of the gods is how his planet name would, would translate into our earthly uh, English language. Uh, under the control of a of an evil ruler named Manzanora, which has an Italian ring to it, I gotta say, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Manzanora. So when we hear bleach in the veins, a listener might say, "Oh, I remember where this was floated." There was uh, this prominent fellow who you refer to as the former game show host. He eventually, if you might know him as Donald J. Trump, and he talked about you know blasting the skin with uh, with ultraviolet and bleach in this bleach in the veins. And you find or you trace that it wasn't the alien guy, but it was another, M the MMS guy who wrote to him. And are we sure that Trump got the letter? <laughs> are we sure? Because it does seem that what this 
quack cure was advocating, and it was out there. It wasn't just in one letter. He did interviews with Alan Keyes and other people. It does seem that some of that information did get to Trump. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's going to go down as one of life's great mysteries because certainly Trump hasn't confirmed it, and so we can't say for sure. But the timing is very suggestive. You know, he he uh, says that he sends bleach and a letter to Trump, and then like. You know, a week later, Trump is on national television at one of these uh, pandemic conferences saying, hey, you know, what, what, what could we cleanse the body with like bleach? You know, what, what do you think of that? Um, and sales of MMS uh, shot up, you know, like, like it was suddenly uh, running rife through certain uh, pockets of people who uh, already maybe had an ear towards MMS or who maybe uh, uh, were just so. Uh, eager to do something that the president suggested. Yeah. And so that's one way that you document how, if if one were to look at this book and say, okay, it's a collection of quirky quacks, or maybe we could laugh at them, or maybe if we have a lot of sympathy and empathy, we could feel bad for their victims. But you also document how it intertwines with all of us, uh, society as a whole, whether we want it or not, the quest for one true cure, the um, very American prevalence of these uh, quack cures out there. We saw it in the pandemic that quack cures were pretty much killing us. And even if the quack cures weren't killing us, turning away from the actual science, that impetus was killing us. And so I wonder, was the, speaking of impetus, was your book influenced by what is going on during the pandemic? Or was it more that you like to find uh, specific characters and then connected the character to the sociological phenomenon? Well, I, I really started um, because the pandemic had raised these public health policy questions, you know, mask mandate, no mask mandate, uh, uh, vaccine mandate, no vaccine mandate. Can an employer impose, you know, all, all these sorts of things? And uh, what were their uh, ways to get convince the public to uh, buy into the science uh, in ways that are shorter of a mandate? You know, so like that, that was kind of like what led me to start. Uh, reaching out to these folks. But the, the broader 20-year story is that um, a lot of these people uh, on the fringes of alternative medical care were approached, actively courted by libertarian health freedom activists. Uh, and they were kind of like recruited into this cause because all they wanted to hear was that they could make money from their one true cure ideas. And what happened was in, in their effort to attain that, uh, they bought into this broader idea of medical freedom or health freedom. And uh, that kind of created this unlikely marriage between alternative health, which we think of as being kind of like a leftover of the, the hippy dippy left, and this extreme right wing ideology of libertarianism. And they agreed on this one thing that people ought to be able to buy these wacky cures. Uh, that kind of provided a basis for grassroots support for an infrastructure that the anti-vax folks hopped onto very easily and that Republican politicians started to hop onto really easily because it was cloaked in, in the message of freedom. Uh, and there was also a way to monetize it. You know, if you are a Republican candidate running for office uh, and you have an email list, uh, campaign list, uh, of your supporters, uh, why not sell them 
vitamins or, you know, uh, body max supplements or, or you know, some, some sort of unproven scientific cure that's going to, uh, you know, put money in your pocket and also reinforce the idea that alternatives to institutional medicine are better somehow. Right. And so medical freedom, along with one true cure, medical freedom was the other concept that runs through the book. And it's a really interesting way to think about what's motivating not only the charlatans or the self-deluded charlatans, but the people who are risking their health for this. And it is tied up with an ideology. And it's an ideology that you know well. You've uh, chronicled the libertarian movement for many years. When you wrote your last book about the uh, takeover of this uh, one town in New England uh, for the ideals of libertarianism. Did you see this? Uh, so that was before the pandemic. But did you see the idea of medical freedom being just a small part of the overall libertarian ethos or what it's, I think, become one of the driving principles of it? Yeah, I think it was always just kind of like a, a, a side note for the libertarians. You know, they were maybe more focused on things like gun rights and, and uh, minimizing government and cutting whatever program they, they could get their hands on to. Uh, yeah, that town, Grafton, New Hampshire, suffered really, really badly uh, under the idea of this uh, Freetown project where a bunch of libertarians came in and, and outvoted the, the local residents on how to maintain their local government. And that led to bear problems. Um, and so in the course of that experience, <laughs> uh, I really got an appreciation for kind of like the broad implementation of a, of a libertarian agenda like what what would that look like on a, on a broader scale but you're right healthcare I think has been a really appealing driving force for the libertarians recently um, it's become much more central because it's an issue on which they found so much common ground with the more moderate right wing uh, of the Republican Party so you know, if a libertarian's out there saying, you know, let, let's uh, legalize uh, cannibalism, they're going to be shunned. But if they're going out there saying, uh, or let, let, let's do away with mandatory vaccines, uh, they're, they're going to find a lot of common ground. And so I think that really uh, was a political winner for them. It amplified their voice. It created alliances that otherwise would not have existed. And it's gotten libertarians a lot of traction in making inroads into the broader political infrastructure uh, through, through this, this idea of medical freedom. So if in your last book, a libertarian walks into a bear, the uh, result of a, a full embrace of libertarian ideology was that the town was beset by bears. Who's the bear in the new book, if it sounds like a quack? <laughs> uh, believe it or not, Mike, it's zombies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this this sounds so left uh, out of left uh, field when I first say it, but um, the lack of science within uh, the the culture of uh, the, these one true curists uh, and these these medical freedom things, there, there's just kind of like this idea of never scrutinizing or holding up to critical thought what the other guy is saying. So there's just a lot of head nodding and agreement when people are going out there and asserting these medical theories. And uh, for reasons that I'm sure you understand uh, better than I, uh, like uh, extremist ideas make buzz, right? Or like they, 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 they yes. build audiences. They, they get a lot of clicks. 
And so those two factors combined meant that you had a lot of uh, folks in the medical freedom, alternative healing community looking to make ever more extreme statements. And a few of them struck on the idea of zombies, right? Uh, so you had uh, Mr. Robert Young, the, uh, the guy I talked about with the uh, bleach stuff, he said that if uh, the government gave you a vaccine, it contained nanotechnology that would allow the government to flip a switch and take over your body and turn you into a zombie. Mm-hmm. Some of the the people on the faith end of the spectrum, like the faith healers who thought uh, that you could, you could heal anything through prayer, um, they came out saying that zombies were kind of like demonic entities that were literally taking over uh, morally compromised humans, which read between the lines, they mean Democrats. In this... <laughs> Right. In this world, zombies definitely have a left wing valence. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, and, and so there, there were these various competing theories about zombies that didn't really make sense one against the other, but they all kind of like melded under this idea of um, actual flesh eating zombies. And that idea took root within these uh, extreme right wing areas uh, uh, of the internet and it went from being i think in some ways like a tongue-in-cheek gag to people actually literally believing that it was true yeah and that is of course a a a very dangerous belief particularly if you're saying that the zombies are your political ideological (laughs) opponents you know yeah Uh, you're categorizing people as inhumans and so it it kind of has a little bit of the the stink of like uh, the lead up to genocidal campaigns. You know, if you think about it, you know, dehumanizing your opponents is uh, a key part of setting up or, or uh, kind of like sanctioning violence against those other people. Um, and so uh, a bunch of militia groups have heard this idea about zombies and have um, become kind of like zombie themed. And, and so they used to go out and do survivalist training and the idea of like, what would happen if there was a hurricane and you know, how, how would we operate? How would we survive when society breaks down and the aftermath of some natural disaster? And now instead you have militias that are out there saying, what would we do in the face of a zombie apocalypse? And those are very different framings. Uh, and you can imagine in one, you're going out uh, with, you know, a hot toddy and, and a, a warm towel to, to wrap people up, uh, the, the survivors. And the other, you're going out and you're just shooting them, you know. Uh, so it's yeah, yeah. it's um, a, a really dangerous idea to be floating around out there. Right. And it's such an extreme idea that it is tempting to dismiss it. I mean, you don't have to really dwell with the actual logic of the idea. But as a phenomenon, why it's important to consider is you just put your finger on one aspect. If even a very small percentage of the far fringe believes it, they could be dangerous and they can cause political violence. But I look at it as an interesting point of sociology, that one of the reasons that these ideas that are so discredited and obviously discreditable gain traction is because of the nature of coalition politics. So you as a libertarian, your may or one person as a libertarian, your whole thing may be whatever more, you know, mainstream Rand Paul manifestation of libertarianism might be, you know, uh, all the all the um, all the hoops you have to jump through to put put up a port. 
church. <laughs> and you make common cause with other libertarians, and their big issue might be, you know, a little bit more to the extreme, something like sovereign citizen movement, or does the IRS really have a right to take our taxes? And then to make further common cause, you got these zombie guys, but at some point it becomes impossible to kick them out of your coalition. So this gets to the question of, well, what can be done? Is it just on, some of it is you have trials and you put some people in jail, you hope uh, the FDA still has enough sway to, uh, to to discredit these theories among people who listen to the FDA. But I do think that at some point it becomes incumbent upon the m- more powerful mainstream people in the coalition to cast out the extremists. I don't know if that's happening, though. Yeah, no. Uh, in fact, uh, what you find and said is that a lot of the more influential people uh, in the media and in uh politics, that they are kind of subtly dog whistling these zombie beliefs. During the Super Bowl, Trump ran an ad about Biden where he portrayed Biden as a zombie. You know, it was kind of like the uh, a distorted effect, camera shots and, and uh, stuff like that to just kind of exaggerate some of Biden's mannerisms and saying that he was literally like a zombie and therefore needed to be drummed out of the, the White House. Um, You have other Republican legislators in Florida who called a gun rights bill like the zombie apocalypse bill. You have Alex Jones uh, screaming at his audience that liberals are are trying to, like, eat their brains and and stuff like that. Uh, So it's it's really like a a seamless transition. You know, it's like a spectrum of belief and people just get sucked down into it. And um, right now there's a woman on trial, Lori Vallow, uh, for killing her own two children because she believed that they were zombies, uh, which was in accordance with the teachings of a, you know, kind of like a right-wing faith-based cult, you know, was some of the same idea that like demons come up from below and they take over, people and and turn them into flesh-eating zombies so yeah she she killed her two kids and now she's on trial and you know there's uh there are other examples out there too of people who have taken these zombie beliefs and acted on them you know if they were real we should all act on them right we should be out there killing the zombies um so once you've crossed that threshold you know uh (laughs) there's not a lot that can be done Last thing I want to ask you about is the tone. You're a funny guy. You're a very, very funny writer. Some of these things are so ridiculous, they call for ridicule. Yet, you don't lay off the pathos uh, when it's necessary. You convey to the reader the real costs. Was that hard to find that tone and when to ridicule and when to express despair? Um Thank you for 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 saying that that uh, th- those kindnesses and yeah certainly much funnier on the page than I am here talking to you today. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, I think I really try to use humor in, in the book um, because I think basically it makes it more palatable to a broader audience, you know. And so anytime I can poke fun and and, and I, I hope that uh, people understand that that I, I find the same flaws in myself. I have never given a guest direction about what to say, but I will say this. I did just look up palatable and it's I th- the only 
preferred pronunciation is palatable in the dictionary. So if you say palatable, your excellent answer will, I think, land on many people's ears is what? So if you'd like, you could retake that with uh, the preferred pronunciation of palatable. But go ahead. Up to you. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I, uh, th- this is what comes from a guy who uh, just grows up reading instead of speaking. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> right. Uh, so wait, what, what's, the, what's the right way? that it, It's palatable. Palatable, yeah. <laughs> the the reason that I use humor in, in my writing is because I think people find it more palatable. Um, you know, there, there's a, a a broader there, there's a big tradition of preaching to the choir, um, and preaching to the choir only gets you so far, right? You really need to go out and mm. win the hearts and minds of folks in the middle. You need to come at them from unexpected directions and give them a great show. Uh, while you're convincing them uh, that some of the folks that they've bought into uh, may may be uh, not the right crowd to be running with. <laughs> well, I hope that this uh, horrible embarrassment on the gist will lead you to a lifetime of saying palatable. <laughs> By the way, have you ever heard of the concept of, this is what I was thinking of, and it's a concept I became familiar with, and it's actually been very informative to me in my work. Have you ever heard of the concept of Burkean frames named after Kenneth Burke, who was a critic? No, no. Tell me about it, please. Okay. So he had these frames based on literary genres. It's sort of just the way of looking at the world. And the big ones were the heroic frame and the tragic frame and the comic frame. And I have always looked at life through the comic frame, which isn't to say that nothing is serious and that there aren't stakes, but essentially that the world is essentially a burlesque and that people and human beings can be foolish and to (laughs) relate to the audience on that level. It includes some puns and wordplay and silly humor and things like that, whereas the tragic frame is about stakes and victims. And I just think you write as the way I like to receive information, which is more through a comic frame, which doesn't necessarily mean you can't convey tragedy. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you, you've you stated my approach much better than I ever have. I find that to be a really relatable sentence. Yeah. <laughs> the best. The best. That was awesome. Okay. It is all and so much more in the new book by Matthew Hungoltz Hetling. If it sounds like a quack, a journey to the fringes of American medicine. Matt is a Pulitzer finalist and the author of the critically acclaimed A Libertarian Walks into a Bear. This is the second in his series about animals. Thanks so much, Matt. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. This has been a blast. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now the spiel. Michael Barbaro took us up to the last logical conclusion today on The Daily when he had reporter Bren Protis on talking about the indictment of former President Donald Trump. But he could face up to four years in prison. Wow. So it is possible 
that we could have a convicted former president headed for some prison sentence running for president in the middle of 2024. Correct. But to be clear, you do not need to have a clean criminal record to be able to hold the office of the presidency. In other words, Trump could be convicted and still be reelected. Correct. Under the Constitution, that's the deal. But the something music tells you we're out. And Barbaro did not ask the follow-up. Wait, could he be the president and a prisoner at the same time? Well, Business Insider did ask. They asked nine legal experts. And the unanimous conclusion was yes. No reason why not. Indeed, we could have a prisoner president. The New York State Correctional Facility would not have to release him. And at the same time, Donald Trump could still hold the title and office of president. This would necessitate secret service in prison. The secured location to hear classified details would be his cell. His vice presidential pick could be his bunkie. When he does those big meetings with the cabinet where they effusively praise him, He'll be soaking it all in from one side of a glass partition. The cabinet will be on the other side. Although if Bannon's on the staff again, he might be on Trump's side. The prisoner president. You felt your chest constricting due to the confinement that you felt during his first term? Well, with prisoner president, you get Donald Trump as he brags about the beautiful letter sent to him by Kim Jong-un. And he might add, I know because Eric snuck it to me in his ass. Remember when Donald Trump was mocked for feeding the national champion football team McDonald's and Wendy's? Now he can invite the Yukon Husky basketball team to come dine on veggie loaf. Sometimes used as punishment, but then again, so is a dinner with Donald Trump. Do not bring your own cutlery, guys. There will not be the constant debate over deplatforming this time around. If he starts sharing weird COVID ideas about the skin and the bleach, and the time is 11.59, the screws are just going to come over and say, let's go, Trump, lights out. I hope he holds it together. I hope prison still allows him to pass the neurological test. Person, man, other men, All men, gray bars, more gray bars, cot, TV. Oh, and speaking of TV, when the Muslim Brotherhood wants back control of the remote and the Aryan Brotherhood agrees, now the Mexicans are going to pay for it. Speak of which, about that MS-13 business guy, it's all politics you fellas understand, right? A big guy, a strong guy, came up to me crying, Mr. President, Mr. President. And I said, yes, this is a big guy, just like you. Hasn't cried since he was five, and he shivved me. A lot of my information, by the way, about the prison system is based on Escape from Alcatraz and Orange is the New Black, but that's okay. All of Trump's presidency was based on watching Fox News and old movies, movies right out of central casting. Hey, listen, if you're sad about what this says for the country or the Trump family, hold on to this. Jared and Ivanka's children will still have one living grandparent who hasn't served time in the Who's Gow, so that's good. Do I think that this will happen? No. No, I do not. Do I worry about the consequences of jailing a former president? Normally, I would, but Trump is not normal. My take is he so denigrated the office that this is the upside of him turning it into a sideshow or a clown show. His whole thing is he is a chaos agent who does not follow rules. So in general, if there were a rule that a country where the stakes of leaving office is the president might land in jail, that would generally be bad. 
But in the specific case, that's just Trump, crazy Trump. I want season two of Prison President. I could be wrong. We could all be governed one day soon from the Fishkill Correctional Facility, where there is already a request on file against conjugal visits signed Melania Trump. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson's the senior producer. Michelle Pesca is in charge of all of philanthropy for the grand enterprise that is Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash the gist. Oomperu, peru, do peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>